We are today finishing our series that we've been in for the last four weeks uh, on inclusion. Uh, and really, you know, what the inspiration for this uh, series was, the fact that uh, in the first week in July, every year we have our summer camp. And uh, uh, obviously for the last couple of years, we, were, we had a scale back one or, or none at all for, for one of the years. Um, and this year for us, again, to be able to come back in to do a summer camp again and to bring in what was close to 400 kids again to minister to from our community was just amazing. And, and really in all of that then, you know, uh, God is ministering to you saying, you know, these people need to be ministered to all the time. We need to be not just reaching out to the, to the uh, uh, people in our community once a year. We need to be doing it all the time. We need to be making room, making space for people in our community to be here in among us in church. And I thought, you know, during the week that the very last thing that Enniscorthy needs is another church that only ex exists for its members. You know, there's so many private members clubs out there. And the last thing that Enniscorthy, Wexford, or Ireland needs is another church that is just exclusive for its members, that, that are only interested in those who are part of its setup. You know, you may have heard it before, but let me tell you again, that the church is the only organization in the world that exists more for people who are not its members than its members. Amen? That's why we're here. We exist for the people that are not here yet. And in what we do on Sunday is we're getting ready to bring them in. That's why we come together on church to, in church on Sundays to bring them in. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 24 says, Let no one seek his own, but each one others' well-being. That means, you know what, don't always put yourself first in every circumstance or situation, and especially when it comes to, to uh, 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 the experience of God. Bring people with you when you're, going with the, when you're going to meet with God. Bring people with you. Don't have your relationship with God be something that's mine and mine only and is private to me. No, your experience of God, your relationship with God is something that needs to be shared. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 16 says, and, and do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifice, God is pleased. I want to please God, amen? And if, if, if it pleases God for me to include others in my walk with him, then that's what I'm going to do. Because I want to please God. I want to build a church where people do life together. In, in, a, in a family, amen? A one big family. This is a big family, amen? amen? And we are trying to grow this family all across our area with the inclusion of people who are not here yet. Listen, I love figures. I love facts and figures. I love numbers. It's something that really does it for me. I, I love looking at numbers. And, and the latest census figures, uh, the preliminary results of the census came out there about a month ago. Maybe you've seen it. It said that the population of Ireland had grown to over 5 million for the first time since the 18th century. And, and all of that stuff, I love it. So I love digging down into the nitty-gritty numbers, though. And in the latest census figures that were released just a few weeks ago, it showed that the population of Enniscorthy is again on the increase. Praise God. This is a growing town. Amen? In actual fact, Enniscorthy is still the second largest urban area in our county. And again, for another fact, that you're not reading this in the newspaper, you're hearing it just from me because I looked into the numbers. Enniscorthy is again, for the second census in a row, the fastest growing urban area in our county. We're growing. 
as, a, as an area. Where you're sitting today, there is 23,000 people living in a four-mile radius of where you live today, sitting today. That's 23,000 people. Amen? Four-mile radius. That's walking distance. Amen? Of Enniscordy, there is 23,000 people. What does that mean? It means that, that, that we cannot be a church that's reclusive. We cannot be a church that just looks after ourselves and are happy in among ourselves. No, it means that there's all around us people that need to hear about Jesus. Amen? And what else does it mean? It means that other organizations looking at those numbers and saying, we either need to build something in Enniscorty, open something in Enniscorty, or expand something in Enniscorty. Recently, in the last few months, obviously the council knew this was going to happen because they have uh, again uh, organized uh, that the uh, waterworks here in town are going to be upgraded again. This is, I think, the third time in the last 10 years that they've upgraded the waterworks. They need to do that because we're building more houses in Enniscorty. You know, there's going to be more supermarkets. There's going to be more shops built. And, and, and these planners, they see these things coming down the line, so they make plans of how they're going to meet the need of a certain town or a certain city in the years to come. And we, the church, too, we need to have our eyes open. Amen? We need to see that our population around us is increasing. But not just because our population around us is increasing, but, but because that there is 23,000 people in a four-mile radius of Enniscordy. And I know for a fact that probably 50 to 60% of the people here this morning don't even live within a four or five-kilometer radius of Enniscordy. So it goes out even further. Amen? So the chances are that within a 10 or a 15-kilometer radius of Enniscordy, there could be anything up to 50,000 people living. Amen? And I don't know but if you noticed, they're not all here today. Amen? we got to be a church that includes other people. Amen? we got to be a church that, that has room and makes room for other people. We, got, we can't be just saying to ourselves that, you know what, um, just because the town is getting bigger around us, just, let's, just, let's just keep our, our holy huddle tight. Because you know what, bringing in other people brings in complications, doesn't it? Brings in issues, brings in problems. But, but you know what, uh, in order for us to, to fulfill what God has called us to do. We've got to face those issues. We've got to face those problems. Amen? We've got to make space for other people. We can't get comfortable. Amen? We can't develop an attitude that I don't want the place messed up. I don't want my mind messed up. We've got to develop the attitude that these people need Jesus. Amen? And the church is the answer. To every question, anyone the church is God's answer. Amen? Glory to God. we got to be mindful always that we need to be bringing people in. Amen? Jude chapter 1, verse 23 says, it says, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Now God is telling us to include people in our lives and make room for people here and in the church. And because these people are going to a lost eternity. It says we are to pull people with fear out of the fire. Because these people are lost. Amen? And we have the answer. The answer is Jesus. Amen? The answer is Jesus. 
God is telling us to go and tell people about Jesus. Go and include those sticky, dirty, uncomfortable people. Go and include them in what you're doing. Don't just do what you do to keep everybody happy, but make a place, build a church where everybody is welcome, including the sticky, dirty people, including the people who, who are agnostics, the people who, who don't believe or maybe those who do believe but believe a different way than what we do. Amen? We can't just build a church for Christians, even though that would be lovely. Wouldn't it be great? If the only people we ever had to deal with were Christians, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be lovely? Well, it kind of get boring after a while, though, wouldn't it? If everyone you met was nice and polite and God bless you and God bless... Because God created us to do life with other people. Amen? Created us to get involved with other people. Get involved with the icky, sticky people. Bring them into our lives and, and, and maybe help them. Amen? You know, if it was up to the Apostle Paul, or Peter, should I say, Peter would have built an exclusively Jewish church. You know that? Do you know after the day of Pentecost, even though Jesus told him to, to uh, make this thing available for everyone, Peter's intention was to build a completely Jewish church. And he went about, and he went to all these Jewish areas preaching about Jesus in the Jewish areas and, and, and was very careful not to go near the Samaritans or the Gentiles. And, and then there was one day, if you remember, over there in Acts chapter 10, where Peter went up onto the rooftop for a nap in the afternoon. Many people enjoy the afternoon nap when it's warm. And Peter did. This day he decided he needed a nap. And over in Acts chapter 10 of verse 11, Peter had a vision and he said he saw heaven was open and objects like a, an object like a great sheet bound in the four corners descending to him and let down. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, the birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Up to this point, as I said, Peter's intention was just to go and minister to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's all he was interested in. I'm going to minister to Jews, preach to Jews. And God took up this opportunity to show him a vision that what God has cleansed, you're not to call common. Peter was up on the rooftop and God decided, I need to, I need to have an intervention with this guy. Because he obviously didn't hear Jesus when I told him that he was to go and preach this stuff to everyone. So he had to have an intervention with him. And just as Peter was having his, his afternoon nap there, God decided, I'm going to show him. All these things that he believed down through the years, all these animals and, and, and creatures that he called unclean down through the years, I'm going to tell him. I'm going to show him in a vision. You do not call anything unclean that I have called clean. And how did he call him clean? Because Jesus died for everyone. Amen? Jesus died for everyone. This is the message that God was trying to get through to Peter. Wake up, Peter. Smell the coffee. You're not just to go and preach this gospel, this good news to the Jews. I want you to tell everybody about it. Amen? Amen? And a lot of times we're no better than Peter, are we? 
No, we can get comfortable in our own kind too, can't we? And we can get to a place with the comfortness of our own kind that we just think, I just want to hang around people who are like me. But God is saying, you are surrounded by people out there whom, whom we, in our own ignorance sometimes too, consider to be unclean. But God is trying to remind us today too, saying, who I have declared clean is clean. Because Jesus didn't just give his life for you, he gave his life for everyone. You know, we need to get rid of this exclusive reputation. Where did that come from? Where did this exclusive reputation that the church has come from? You know, there's millions of people out there that believe that they're not welcome in these buildings. That believe that they can't come into these buildings anymore because they're considered to be exclusive buildings. You know, anytime I ever travel, just about everywhere I'll travel, I always go and visit a church. And whether that be a big Catholic church in the area or a big uh, uh, Anglican church in that area, I'll always try to go and visit a church. Now, listen to me. If you ever go to uh, any place, we go to Paris to go visit the, the Louvre or, or the Eiffel Tower or go to London to go visit the British Museum or you go visit uh, any one of the major attractions in these cities, you know what you'll find in every one of those attractions? Crowds. Packed. You'll have to stand in queues for hours for some of these places to visit. To go up the Eiffel Tower, hours in queues to get into, to, well, Notre Dame is not there anymore. But if you're, years ago, to get into Notre Dame, you'd have to stand in queue for hours. One thing I've noticed anytime I ever travel anywhere when I go to visit a church, I'm not being knocked down by people in queues. I visited some famous churches or some very, very famous Christians in the past have ministered. I tell you, I've been there on my own, or with maybe Angela. Nobody else. In actual fact, recently I visited a church in uh, London where John Newton, remember John Newton, Amazing Grace? Where he preached. His big plaque on the wall in there commemorating where that John Newton preached in there. And you know, primarily that church now is being used as a coffee shop. Isn't that disgraceful? That's disgraceful. We as the church have gotten this attitude down through the years that we are exclusive. That if you're not a member, you're not welcome. Whereas people can go visit the British Museum or they can go visit the Louvre or they can go visit the Eiffel Tower. Everyone is welcome. Whether you be Muslim or agnostic or Buddhist or Christian, you, everyone goes. But the church is seen as a place around the world that only Christians are Welcome. Church, we've got to shatter that mindset. Amen? We've got to shatter that mindset. Because let me tell you, if it was only Christians, that true Christians that went to churches, every church in the country would be virtually empty. Amen? God didn't build his church for Christians. He built it for the unbelievers. Amen? He built it for the Gentiles. He built it for the, the sticky, dirty people. Amen? The sinners. That's who he built it for. Amen? And we've got to build a church that people who are not like us feel welcome. Amen? We've got to show and Escorty in Wexford, that we're not here to judge them because that's one of the biggest complaints that people have about the church. All oh, them people in there are always judging people. 
They think they're better than everyone else. Truly, we're not better than anybody else. The only difference between us and those people out there is we got Jesus. Amen? We're capable of doing some of the very same things as they do on a daily basis. But we are seen as people who stand in judgment of them. Got to get down off our high horse, amen? And we got to get down to the same place as where everybody else is at. And we got to have people in our community realize that they are just the same as us. They, they go through the same stuff as we do. They have the same problems as we do. They have the same medical conditions as we do. They're just the same as us. But I do see a difference in them. And that difference in them is what we call hope. And our hope is based in a person. And that person's name is Jesus. And I know if we start to tell people in our community about this Jesus who died for everyone, we can bring hope to our communities. And we can make a place where people are welcome. Amen? Amen? That's what we need to do. We need to make a place where everyone feels welcome. You know, when they built the Titanic back in 1912, it was the largest and grandest ship of its day. It was an amazing ship. They actually called the ship the unsinkable ship because they thought, how could something so amazing, so grand, so well built. How could that ever sink? Still, four days into his maiden voyage, it struck an iceberg and it sank. The unsinkable ship. On that maiden voyage, the ship was packed full of rich people from all over the world, all just coming out to check out this amazing ship. They wanted to be some of the first people to uh, sail on this new luxurious ship. But also on that ship were some of the poorest people from all across Europe. They were heading out to the new world, out to the Americas, to try and find a better life from them and their family. The boat, the Titanic, it operated a class system. It had first class, middle class, and had lower class, depending on how much you paid for your ticket. You know, on the Titanic, there was... 2,229 passengers and crew. And only 706 people survived when it hit the iceberg. 1,523 people died. Like all ships of its day, the Titanic was required to have... But unlike today, they were not required to have a lifeboat placed for every passenger and crew on board. So the Titanic had 20 lifeboats with a capacity of around 1,180 people. Not nearly enough for the entire ship. But here's the crazy thing. Even though they could easily accommodate 1,180 people, when they were launched, the Titanic lifeboats only carried 706 people. So if you do the math, a further 474 people could have been saved that night if they had been filled to their full capacity. But they weren't. Many of the lifeboats sailed away less than half full. In fact, only one lifeboat carried anywhere near its full load capacity. And that was lifeboat number 15. And it carried 70 people on board. Part of the film that, that really got to me wasn't the sinking of the ship because that's factual, that's history. Or the part where Jack Dawson died because that's 
fable. That's only fiction. It was the part where you see the half-empty lifeboat sailing, ignoring the others all around them, drowning in the freezing North Atlantic waters. One lifeboat that could have carried over 40 people was launched with just 12 people on board. When they reached a, ship, a safe distance from the ship, they could, be, they could hear the people in the water crying out for help. But they refused to return to the ship to rescue people from the water. I'll just play this clip just to show you this morning. We should do something. It's out of the question. The church can sometimes be guilty of treating the lost the same way, can't we? We're living in a community and surrounded by people who don't believe in Jesus, don't even, don't even know as much about Jesus or anything really about Jesus. And we live in this community and we're surrounded by those people and a lot of times we're, we, we can ask ourselves the question, what are we doing to, to help these people? What are we doing to save these people? Are we rowing around them? Are we rowing away from them? Have we any inclination or any intent to try and help them or try and save them at all? You know, as a sink... As the too many S's in this, you know. As the ship sank, they lowered the lifeboats, and because there was a class system on the Titanic, the first class people got into the boats first. And when all the first class passengers were comfortable in the lifeboats, most of them sailed away, less than half full. Most of the lifeboats, there was a small minority who wanted to return to the ship and rescue some of those people that were dying in the freezing waters, but the majority in each boat refused, saying that they would be swamped themselves if they were to go back in. They would end up being drowned as well. So they sailed around, surrounded by drowning people. But here's the thing. There is no comparison between God and the Titanic. The Titanic operated a class system. They treated passengers very differently depending on which class they were in. They got better quarters, better food, better service, better views, better facilities, and a better chance of surviving the North Atlantic. Do you know there was 62% of first-class passengers survived, 41% second-class passengers, and only 25% of third-class passengers survived. Whereas the Titanic only had space for a fraction of its passengers, they could no way save everyone. God can save all. Amen? God has made room for all. Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, it says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I love that word there, whoever. It's a really full word, isn't it? It's not a mean or stingy word. It's not a, a small word. It's a huge word. It's whoever it's everybody. It includes everyone from all ages, from all times, from all backgrounds, from all abilities. From, from, it's inclusive. Amen? For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Another version says everyone. 
who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But despite that emphatic word from the Lord, there are still people out there standing in pulpits that will have you believe that God only came for his select. Or his elect. And that not everybody, that that Jesus didn't come for everybody. He only came for a portion of people. Can I tell you there's absolutely no truth in that? Because my Bible is filled with whoever's. And all. Amen? And and God so loved the world. Amen? I've heard of people saying that they had received Jesus as Savior two or three times. But came to a conclusion then after two or three times trying, trying to get saved that they mustn't be of the elect. A lie. Amen? I don't know where it came from, but its origins are obviously demonic because that's a lie. Jesus came for everyone. Could you even believe that, or even, even start to think that, that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross wasn't strong enough to include everyone? That was only strong enough to include a select few. Jesus came for everyone, everywhere. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2, it says, He gave his life to pay for our sins. But he not only paid for our sins, he also paid for the sins of the whole world. Jesus came for everyone. Amen? The good, the bad, and the ugly. Amen? the nice people, the great people, the people that you want to hang around with and the purely awful people that you don't want to hang around with. He came for everybody. And he's told us to go out into all of the world and preach the gospel to every creature, every person. Why would we go out into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature if Jesus didn't die for them all? Amen? Amen? Wouldn't it be so unfair if you were to go out there to tell someone about Jesus and then only realize afterwards, oh, Jesus didn't die for him. Jesus died for everyone. Amen? Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith by everyone. Amen? Everyone. Jesus, when he walked the earth, he didn't just walk the earth and, and minister to the Jewish people. He ministered to the Samaritans. He ministered to, to everyone. He ministered to Romans even, the oppressors. He was inclusive for everyone. So why then would he only just die for a select few? He died for everyone, amen? Everyone, everywhere. Regardless of their background, regardless of their condition, regardless of their nationality, regardless of whatever condition. With God, there is no conditions. And we need to have the same attitude. We need to be inclusive of everyone, everywhere. No matter who they are, no matter what they look like or what backgrounds there is. We got to open our doors. And open our hearts, open our church to everyone. Amen? Because Jesus died for them all. We are God's search and rescue boat. Sent out by God to those who are drowning in their lostness. 
got one small little video I want to show you this morning before we come back and we, and we close. You can go ahead and play that clip. On a dangerous sea coast notorious for shipwrecks, there was a crude little life-saving station. Actually, it was merely a hut with only one boat, but the few members kept a constant watch over the turbulent sea. With little thought for themselves, they would go out day and night tirelessly searching for those in danger as well as the lost. Many lives were saved by this brave band who faithfully worked as a team in and out of the life-saving station. By and by, it became a famous place. Some of those who had been saved, as well as others along the seacoast, wanted to become associated with this little station. They were willing to give their time, energy and money in support of its objectives. New boats were purchased, new crews were trained. The station, once obscure and crude and virtually insignificant, began to grow. Some of its members were unhappy the hut was so unattractive and poorly equipped. They felt a more comfortable place should be provided. Emergency cots were replaced with lovely furniture. Rough, handmade equipment was discarded and sophisticated, classy systems were installed. The huts, of course, had to be torn down to make room for all the additional equipment, furniture and systems. By the time of its completion, the life-saving station had become a popular gathering place and its objectives had begun to shift. It was now used as a sort of clubhouse, an attractive building for public gathering. Saving lives, feeding the hungry, strengthening the fearful, and calming the disturbed rarely occurred. Fewer members were interested in braving the sea on life-saving missions, so they hired professional lifeboat crews to do this work. The original goal of the station wasn't altogether forgotten, however. Life-saving motifs still prevailed in the club's decorations. There was a liturgical lifeboat preserved in the room of sweet memories with soft, indirect lighting, which helped hide the layer of dust upon the once-used vessel. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast and the boat crews brought in loads of cold, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty, some terribly sick and lonely. Others were different from the majority of the club members. The beautiful new club suddenly became messy and cluttered. A special committee saw to it that a shower house was immediately built outside, away from the club, so victims of the shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting there were strong words and angry feelings, which resulted in a division among the members. Most of the people wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities and all involvements with shipwreck victims. As you'd expect, some still insisted on saving lives, that this was their primary objective, that their only reason for existence was ministering to anyone needing help regardless of their club's beauty or size or decorations. They were voted down and told if they wanted to save the lives of various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast. They did. As the years passed, the new station experienced the same old changes. It evolved into another club and yet another life-saving station was begun. History repeated itself. And if you visit that coast today, you'll find a large number of exclusive, impressive clubs along the shoreline owned and operated by slick professionals who have lost all involvement with the saving of lives. Shipwrecks still occur in those waters, but now most of the victims are not saved. Every day they drown at sea, and so few others seem to care. So very few.
church, we are called not to be an exclusive club, ever. We're called to be people who go into our community all around us and tell people the good news about Jesus Christ, to make room here in our church for those who are not here already. And that's what we're going to do, amen? That's what we're going to do. We're going to make room for our community. Amen?